0: Hello and welcome to the Addicted Austenite, your one-stop podcast for all things Jane Austen. In this week's episode, we're going to be looking in depth at Pride and Prejudice a little bit more by having a look at social classes, what they mean, who was who, and what relevance it has to Pride and Prejudice. So, the class system, wherein the more money you have, the more power you have. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Addicted Austinite. (laughs) No, that's not the end, I promise. As with all things Jane Austen, it is not as simple as that. The class system is a lot more complicated than you think, and it would be a pretty pointless episode, to be honest, if that's all I had to say about it. So, prepare yourself for ladders, pyramids, the 1%, social climbers, and all manner of other things as we dive into the British class system in the Georgian era now i think everyone is familiar with the three group based social structure of the upper middle and lower classes society is split up into those three groups depending on what you do for a living and how much money that you earn it is the most commonly used description of british society during this period but unfortunately it's a little bit too basic and you end up getting confused about who is lower class who is lower middle class or upper middle class or lower upper class and it all gets very very confusing and it doesn't explain why there was such a difference between people in the same social group. In our last episode we had a little look at the differences in Pride and Prejudice between Mr Darcy and Mr Bingley. They're both wealthy gentlemen but there is a difference in how people view them and how much people consider them to be a gentleman and the same thing happens with mr bennett as well um, mr bennett is a gentleman too so why is it so odd that lizzie should fall for mr darcy why would he be marrying down if he married someone from the bennett family a step up from the three group class system we find the five-group class system, which might be able to help explain things a little more. In this five-group class system, uh, British society is split up into, obviously, five groups, who are the nobility, group one, the gentry, group two, mercantile, those who participate in genteel trade in group three, mechanics or common traders in group four, And the last group, group five, is the peasantry. As you can see, we get a more in-depth look at what levels make up society and why it might be that two people who were in the middle class in the three-group system are actually treated differently in the five-group system because they're on different levels to each other. However, that does still leave some room for confusion and debate. What exactly is the difference between genteel trade and common trade? What makes somebody gentry and not nobility? And this is where it starts to get really complicated because the Georgian era is such a long period of time and it was constantly changing and growing during this period. What was a certain way at the start of the Georgian era, definitely wasn't the same by the time that Queen Victoria took over. And yes, I do know that that means I'm lumping in William Fourth with the Georgians as well. Everything was changing, and even within the span of Jane's own life, 41 years, there was a great upheaval of society and a change in the way that people interacted with each other. And three of the biggest catalysts for change in this period were revolutions that were going on at the time. First up, we have the American Revolution, wherein colonists in America rose up and got rid of the British power that was ruling over them. What this did was it started to undermine Britain's power as a country. This is power and domination that they have had for centuries. It was a case of a big fish in a small pond being laid low by a smaller fish and actually realising that the pond isn't quite as small as they thought. And what this did was change the way that Britain looked at itself, but also how Britain was looked at by the rest of the world as well. And this was further compounded by the actions of the French Revolution. In the French Revolution, this was working class people rising up and overthrowing their upper class and middle class dictators, as it were. They wanted to be able to live a fair and happy life. It started people evaluating how the different classes treated each other and how society gelled together like cogs turning in the machine, for lack of a better metaphor. But a really dangerous thing that the French Revolution did was to sprinkle doubt about how useful the upper classes actually were and what their role in society was. At this point, it was the case of the 1% owning 99% of the money and capital in a country and by the working classes so easily really overthrowing the the upper classes in France people started to think well how can they be that important if they were so easily overthrown I don't think Britain was really ever in danger of having its own social revolution like the French one but it did start people talking and thinking re-evaluating people's position in society. Another thing that started to really change people's perspectives of the upper classes was the abolition of the slave trade in the UK. Um, In 1807 the Slave Trade Act was passed and it abolished the slave trade. Um, Slavery did continue for another generation until about 1833 and it was eventually abolished completely. But it started that ball rolling. And by making it legally reprehensible to buy slaves, own slaves, and use them for labour, what this did was point a big finger at all of the upper and middle classes who had used slave labour to build their empires and their wealth. And soon, people who were bragging about their money and their station and showing off how wealthy they were by the large number of slaves that they had, they were starting to hide and quiet down and try and sweep under the rug any involvement that they had in the slave trade. And of course, this also played into this long-standing argument that's been going since the dawn of time. Is why are these people wealthy when it's other people that are doing all the work? The final big, big catalyst for change in British society was our third revolution, the Industrial Revolution. Now, I'm sure that a lot of you have studied the Industrial Revolution in class or have read about it, you know about it. This is when Britain became mechanised and work increased and people started to get more wealthy from owning factories and workers started to get better conditions as well. And of course, this completely shook up the class system in Britain. I mean, how could it not? With more people earning more money, the lines between the classes were getting blurred quite a lot. And these middle class people who had been looking down on traders and factory workers and factory owners were now having to share space with them because these people had finally earned enough money that they could be by pay considered middle class it was utter chaos and everybody was scrambling to redefine and rename these groups and set the lines again so that people didn't have to share a space and a status with people that they just completely looked down on and thought were absolutely beneath them it comes back to this argument of old versus new money that we touched on last time with mr darcy and mr bingley So, where was British society and the class system when Jane was writing and publishing her novels? Well, I've done some research and I've been able to find a map of society from 1814. This explains all the different classes in British society at the time and it uses eight separate groups to split people up. And I think this really shows how desperate the middle and the upper classes were to keep their high status and not to have to acknowledge the efforts of the lower classes. I'll read through that list now and and tell you who was in these different groups, just to show you how pernickety and pedantic the class system had become by this point. So the first class, uh, the highest order, included the royal family, lords, those who were spiritual and temporal, great officers of state and peers above the degree of baronet. Below them was the second class who included baronets, knights, country gentlemen and others with large incomes. Below them was the third class of clergy, doctors, merchants and manufacturers on a large scale and bankers. Below them is the fourth class, the lesser clergy, other doctors, some lawyers, teachers, ship owners, merchants and manufacturers of the second class, shopkeepers, artists, builders, mechanics, and persons of a moderate income. Underneath them was the fifth class, who were lesser freeholders, shopkeepers, innkeepers, publicans, and persons of miscellaneous occupations then we had the sixth class who were working mechanics artists craftsmen and agricultural labourers we had the seventh class who were paupers vagrants gypsies and idle persons supported by criminal activity. So they're the lowest class, the seventh class, but we do have an extra class after that. It was the army and the navy. Special forces get their own class, and that includes officers, um, including officers of half-pay and non-commissioned officers, soldiers, seamen, marines, and pensioners. So as you can see, it really has divided the country and tried to put everybody in a little box of their own because Britain was obsessed with status and social standing. These days, the class system doesn't really mean the same thing that it used to. Don't get me wrong, it is still an issue and there is a big problem between the haves and the have-nots, especially in Britain, but it isn't as rigid and systematic as it used to be but for Jane and her novels it was a very important thing it was in the forefront of her readers minds and it's something that we really need to consider when we are evaluating her work Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Addicted Austenite. This is really the end now, I promise. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please like, share it, all those lovely things uh, that make podcasters like me really happy. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Kath Price Author. You can find me on Facebook at Catherine Price Author, The Addicted Austenite. So once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope to see you next week. And as ever, happy reading your faithful servant, the author.